opening reading this morning is uh, an excerpt from a piece by Rabbi Mark Semeth. It appeared on August 12, 2016 in the New York Times. I'm a rabbi, and so I'm particularly saddened whenever religious arguments are brought in to defend social prejudices, as they often are in the discussion about transgender rights. In fact, the Hebrew Bible, when read in its original language, offers a highly elastic view of gender. And I do mean highly elastic. In Genesis 3.12, Eve is referred to as he. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 21, after the flood, Noah repairs to her tent. Genesis 24.16 refers to Rebekah as a young man. And Genesis 1.27 refers to Adam as them. Surprising, I know, and there are many other, even more vivid examples. In Esther chapter 2, Mordecai is pictured as nursing his niece Esther. In a similar way, in Isaiah 49:23, the future kings of Israel are prophesied to be nursing kings. Now, why would the Bible do this? These aren't typos. In the ancient world, well-expressed gender fluidity was the mark of a civilized person. Such a person was considered more godlike. In ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt, the gods were thought of as gender fluid, and human beings were considered reflections of the gods. The Israelite ideal of the nursing king seems to have been based on a real person, a woman by the name of Hatshepsut, who, after the death of her husband, Thutmose II, donned a false beard and ascended to the throne to become one of Egypt's greatest pharaohs. The Israelites took the transgender trope from their surrounding cultures and wove it into their own sacred scripture. The four Hebrew letter name of God, which scholars refer to as the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, was probably not pronounced Jehovah or Yahweh, as some have guessed. The hidden name of God was Hebrew, for he, she. Counter to everything we grew up believing, the God of Israel, the God of three monotheistic Abrahamic religions to which fully half the people on the planet today belong, was understood by its earliest worshipers to be a dual-gendered deity. Scientists now tell us that gender identity, like sexual orientation, exists on a spectrum. Some of us are in greater or lesser alignment with the gender assigned to us at birth. Some of us are in alignment with both, or with neither. For others of us, alignment requires more of a process. It may come as a surprise that scientists view gender as anything other than a simple binary. 
but thousands of years ago, as a review of ancient literature makes clear, that truth was known. In court challenges, administrative directives, and popular culture, the issue is playing out in real time before our eyes. But behind the unfolding legal drama lies the reality of human nature. The fact that gender is not, nor has it ever been, a matter of either or. Gender is more like music. Each of us has a key and a range with which we are most comfortable, attuned to ourselves and to one another. We can find happiness and harmony. So ever since I got to seminary, I've been thinking a lot about if I believe in some notion of God, would God have a gender? For years, and you'll see me even jokingly, I almost always will say goddess because I think it's good for us to put a different view in our heads and in fun everyday conversation. But in the last three years, reading many sacred texts and dissecting sermons and continuing my 25 years of LGBT culture study, I've come across many ideas of God not holding a body, not holding a gender, not necessarily being a divine entity, but something that perhaps takes different forms or can take a different form. In fact, as I read about this notion that God is not male, not a human, not a Father Christmas, nor a white Santa in the sky, I'm able to see how worshiping or praying to a feminine goddess, an earthly divine, is a path that easily leads to a humanist view of goodness and later to a revering of religious naturalism, a belief in quantum physics, and any of these are valid ways to explore life's great questions and shape your theology. I've noticed at different times in life, different ideas of a divine or a god is comforting to different people and to myself. So if our notion of divine or love or God is one that puts you in line with change, then our God here in this church should be one that's transforming, one that may or may not have any gender. And sometimes thinking of love as taking a form, one that might even look like us sometimes, is helpful. Our God is trans transmitting love, transgender, gender non-binary, transmuting and converting love into time and space. We are molding the notion of the divine love into something that we are remodeling right here, remodeling like those icebergs, to be one with great mystery. We revamp our ideas of gender and culture and we divide and dive under those icebergs into the darkness together. We revolutionaries and translate our notion of love by going deeper into the spiritual ocean. For us, living in the holy, living in the mystery, is not stagnant. Like icebergs we move, sometimes slower than we might like. 
But for us, living in holy means action. God goes from a noun, a person, a place, an animal, or a thing to a verb, an action verb. God transforms. In this reading this morning by Rabbi Mark Sena that, that Reverend Eric read, he explores just a handful of instances in the Bible where gender is moving or flexible. And he also points out that the science of gender is not static. This fall, I took a class in the Lotus Sutra, the Buddhist ancient text one considered one of the most beautiful. And I grappled with whether a woman could achieve enlightenment and become a Buddha. The 6th century Chinese monk and founding patriarch of the Titan tradition of East Asian Mahayana Buddhism says she achieved one body, all bodies, and the universal samadhi of the physical body of the Buddha that line makes me think about transgender or gender non-binary people as perhaps the closest to the Buddha, since they're talking about the Buddha changing gender and perhaps starting from a woman. And so I got to thinking that maybe the ultimate form to take is one without any gender. Thus men and women being in gender binaries would all be at a disadvantage for achieving the ultimate form of enlightenment. I don't know about you, but if you've gotten to know anyone who identifies as gender non-binary or transgender, they're also often open to a lot of different ideas. They're queering their whole world. If these ancient texts paint a sacred form of the divine, that it is not man or not woman, not any gender, then why do we place such a stagnant boundary on gender? <clears throat> or on our culture, why is it the first thing we ask when we hear if someone's having a baby is, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? Why do we assume in our culture that one must be where things are or done a certain way to be right? these rules about culture? And if in your icebergs, if we saw that 90% of culture is underwater, what's under that? <laughs> Throughout my career in activism, I have heard many people explain to me <laughs> that gender is a matter of binary science. There is nothing but male and female. I heard it last week on the news reports. I've heard it in the political campaigns. When I've made comments on different news websites, I get a whole host of people explaining to me science, none of whom are scientists. Gender is stationary, they tell me. Yet if you know that biological sex is caused by XX chromosomes, you are female, and XY, you're male, is chromosomal sex, is that biological sex? It turns out there's only one gene on the Y chromosome that really matters to sex. It's called the SRY gene. You're all good, you can always talk back to me. 
especially if you say amen or, you know, amen. During human embryonic development, the SRY protein turns on the male-associated genes. Having an SRY gene makes you genetically male. So is that biological sex? According to Dr. Rebecca Helm, who's a biologist running the Helm Lab at the University of North Carolina, sometimes that SRY gene pops off the Y chromosome and moves over to an X. Surprise! <laughs> it's a girl. I mean a boy. I mean a non-binary baby. So now you've got an X with an SRY and a Y without an SRY. What does that mean? A Y with no SRY means physically you're female and chromosomally you're male. And genetically, you're female because there's no SRY. An X with an SRY means physically you're male, chromosomally you're female, and genetically you're male. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and you should, because when you hear this, like when I heard this, if you thought biological sex was simple, like some people have lectured me on for 25 years outside the gates of Pride Fest and on the federal courthouse steps, there must be another answer, right? Dr. Helm says that sex-related genes ultimately turn on hormones in specific areas of the body. This is the root of biological sex that some people talk about. Hormonal male means you produce normal levels of male-associated hormones. Has anyone ever had your hormones tested? I have. I've been told when I was producing enough to make me feel better, or not enough. Except some percentage of females will have higher levels of male hormones than some percentage of males. Ditto female hormones. And if you're developing, your body might not produce enough hormones for your genetic sex, leading you to be genetically male or female, chromosomally female or male, hormonally non-binary, and physically non-binary. Well, except cells have something to say about this. So maybe cells are the answer to this simple biological sex that's been explained to me, right? Cells have receptors, they hear a signal from the hormones, but sometimes those receptors don't work, like a cell phone on do not disturb setting. Both the phone calls and the cells will not answer. We've all had this with someone we're trying to call, right? So what does that mean? It's stuck on do not answer. You can't get that button to slide over and turn back on to answer the calls, and you have to ask someone who's under 14. <laughs> so what does that mean, Denise? I know some of you are floating up in the air. Stay with me. You mean to tell me, Denise, that you might be genetically male or female, chromosomally female or male, hormonally male, female, and non-binary with cells that may or may not hear the male, female, or non-binary call? 
And all this is leading to a body that can be male, non-binary, and female all in one? At this point, you might be asking, Denise, what are you talking about? Stay with me. We are swimming around and under the iceberg right now. You might say, I just need to go back to the basics, that most people are male and female. Anything else is a rare exception, right? Well, according to Dr. Helm, she says, the reason I don't have my students look at their own chromosome in class. Imagine this, you're in your biology lab. You're an undergrad in college. I don't have them do that, she says, because they can learn the chromosomal sex, the identity that they've been told they are, doesn't match their physical sex, and learning that in the middle of a 10-point lab assignment is just too much of an existential question. <laughs> Dr. Helm concludes that biological sex is complicated. So before you discriminate, or someone else you know does, on the basis of biological sex and identity, ask yourself, have you seen your chromosomes? <laughs> Do you know the genes of the people you love? Have you witnessed the hormones of people you work with or the state of their cells? Since the answer will obviously be no, please be kind. Respect people's right to tell you who they are. And remember, you and probably they don't have all the answers because biology is complicated. Kindness and respect don't have to be. Do you remember when Michael Munson from Forge was up here? And he reminded you that transgender people are people? He said it doesn't have to be that hard. Kindness and respect are part of the iceberg that we can see. So let's keep kindness and respect above the water. Culture we have to listen for. We have to watch and we have to notice when it changes. One of my favorite things to do when I'm plunked in a place I don't know, whether it's because I'm traveling or because I'm entering a space where I have a marginalized identity or where I'm not the dominant culture, the first thing I love to do is sit in the back and watch. If I'm in another country, I love to sip coffee and just watch people go by and see what I learn because I often can detect things about what is valuable to a culture, who is listened to, and what are the norms and how you approach new things. The terminology we teach you today in all of these workshops, it could be passe in 10 years. Maybe pronouns will be a thing of the past. And I want to encourage you to keep swimming around the iceberg. Look at what is underneath. Science shows us that biology can change during development and even more during adolescence. Some of our transgender and gender non-binary friends go through another adolescence. We might not be chromosomally and biologically and cellularly all the same gender. Sitting right here, that could be true. Many of us who identify with the gender we were assigned at birth might indeed be carrying around cellular genetic markers of gender that are different than that gender we were assigned. 
And that may become important to us in our life, and it may not. So at this point in the sermon, it would be so much easier if you all believed you were created by God. I would conclude this sermon by saying, well, God made you this way, and that's how you were made, then what's what God intended. Thank you very much. Amen. Hallelujah. And gosh darn it, sermons are harder for y'all. We are so jealous when we're in CPE, when we're in clinical pastoral education, and they are always in a group of people, and there's usually like half the class is a conservative, very evangelical, you know, Christian, or 20 of them. And uh, they, they get to explain death and illness to people in very different ways than the Unitarians go about it. We have a lot more work to do, and they admit that. Because here in this room, we have atheists and humanists and pagans and reformed Jews and religious naturalists and Christians and more, and we're all here together. And so that puts a huge responsibility on us to grow and change and learn. We have to be transformational. We have to be mobile. We need to sail and surf and dive all around those icebergs. We have to examine our culture here. And to do that, we look at some sacred texts, we incorporate our experience, we examine science, and I don't know how it doesn't ask us to change our views about what the normal cultural dominance is about gender. And the traditional culture and dominant ways to think about God as we gain this new information. It's indeed how we inherently value every single person's inherent worth and dignity. That is the work of love our faith calls us to do. So please join me. Join me in going under the surface. Join me at 11.30 for the workshop. Ask yourself, what is under that spiritual iceberg? To bring together the sacred, the science, and reconstruct your idea of a revolutionary, metamorphosized, transgender, transformational God. That is the work of love, my friends. Amen. Amen. Amen.